welcome to the Change Book Radio Show with your host, work-life fit expert, Deb Crow. Join Deb every week as she interviews the co-authors from all over the globe. They'll share their insights into self-empowerment with their personal stories and real-life experiences that will help your own personal development and touch every area of your life. Join Deb every Wednesday on Blog Talk Radio at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Change Book Radio Show. This is your host, Deb Crow, and here we are already into the second week of November, November 8th, 2017, and I'm quite delighted to interview, interview an interesting lady out of book 11 in the Change Book series, and her name is Jana Hoyberg. And I would just love the opportunity to give you a little overview about Jana before we bring her on live. She is a world-renowned international speaker. She is a workshop facilitator, a family business coach, and author. Jana has personally led thousands of business owners to success and inspired thousands more during the course of her 35-year business career. She is a gifted teacher and stirring presenter. She ignites audiences, readers, and company principals with her proven strategies to elevate communication, sales, leadership, management, and team building. Jana will help your family business walk the path they have never walked before. That path is different for every family and every business. The decisions, the timing, the processes, and the desired end result take careful planning and executing to ensure the end result you want. So, Jana, welcome to the Change Book Radio Show. Well, thank you. It's great being here. It's wonderful to have you. And I, I had read book 11 a couple of books ago, but I, I pulled it out after you sent your chapter. I'm still one of those people that love to hold a book in hand. I'm not on to any of the readers yet and really enjoyed your writing style and just how you talked about your career and what you've done with family businesses. So let's just jump right into some questions because I know that you yourself had mentioned to me, you were a radio show host. So it's probably fun for you to be on the other side of the mic. I'm assuming. It always is fun to be on both sides of the mic, actually. Absolutely. So Jana, you're in book 11 and I wanted to let you know that I was in book five and then I came back and contributed again in book 12. And I would just love for you to share with the listeners how you came in contact with Jim Britt and Jim Lutz. And what was your deciding factor to join our global book community? This came about, I had written my first book, which is called The um, Family Business, How to Be in Business with People You Love Without Hating Them. And had just had gotten a bit of the um, bug to write a book and then I had, um, that had been out for a while, and I'd been working with family businesses, and then went to um, a book that I just had a lot of fun with, which I call The Backpacker's Guide to Business Success, and that's Thriving in the Wilderness of Business. And after putting both of those out, I sort of stepped back and said, okay, what am I going to do next? And then I got a call from the two gyms and said, you know, 
uh, how would you like to participate in an exciting new opportunity called the Change Book Series? I started doing some research and said, you know, this is just a way of being able to put together the two books that I have and approach it from a different angle and just plain have some fun with it. And I pretty much felt the same way. It was just, for me, another on-ramp, if you will, to entrepreneurship, to align yourself with other like-minded individuals. And I find it quite exciting now, Jana, because we're on book 15 and we're now in 26 countries. And you're in Colorado, Springs, Colorado, and I'm in Ontario, Canada. But at the click of a button or the dialing of a phone, we can be amongst any of our co-authors in the Change Book series, which I just find to be such an honor and a privilege. So since you've joined Book 11, how has that helped your business is kind of part one of my question. And part two is where can um, individuals get the two books that you've authored so far? So how it's helped my business is I distinctly remember when I had, when I was actually at a conference and the book had been out probably, oh, three days, you know, something long like that. And somebody walked up to me and said, wow, that's great. You published your first one. Um, when's your second one coming out? And I looked at him and I'm like, really? I haven't even thought that far ahead. And as the more research I did, I really um, saw that Sometimes it's the second and then the third um, book that starts giving you momentum and a track record. And so the the third book, which is part of the change series, has really given a lot of that momentum of you've done it once, it was um, that great, and you've done it twice. Hmm, now you've been part of a, a third one. And it's just really elevated the entire aspect of what I do and allowed across the board some um, additional viewing and understanding of what the um, business has been. And the, and the family business book that you wrote in the backpackers guide, where, where do you have those for sale? Those are both on my website, which is um, Jana Hoiberg.com. So it's J A N N A H O I is an in interest B is in boy E R G.com. And you can always go and get it off of our um, FriendlyAmazon.com. Not to give many more publicity to Amazon than they need, but um, it's a, it, the both books are on Amazon as well. And I see that you have um, really led thousands of business owners, and w- within that, many of them being families. And you talk about having a span of a 35-year business career. Just share with us a little bit of insight to how you landed up specializing working with family businesses and what have been some of the pros and what have been some of the cons and, and has that contributed to, to the books that you've written to date? So without going um, into my more than 35 years of being um, alive, my parents were both in a family business. My dad um, started in a family business in a farm um, that he went into corporate for a while and then came back into a family business with my mom for a number of years. And I uh, lived in Boston for uh, about 30 years. And a lot of the clients I worked with, I was in the high tech world, but our clients ended up being a lot of family businesses. So I got a chance to see how they operated. 
And then I moved, and I'm making a very long story um, short um, to spare all of the listeners on all the details. Moved to Colorado, and part of what I was doing then is I began mentoring and coaching businesses. And unintentionally, I started finding that I had mostly family businesses. And one day I looked at the clients that I was working with and said, all businesses are the same. They run the same. How it gets operated is different, but everybody has profit and loss and, and financials and, you know, got to sell things and make things and whatever. But I realized that with 80% of my clients being family businesses, there is the normal business and then there's you add the family dynamic into all of it. And it just throws so much of what goes on into the air and changes the whole dynamic. When I was first starting to put the book together, The Family Business, How to Be in Business with People You Love Without Hating Them, my first title, my you know draft title, was a question that I continued getting asked by people, and that is, how do I fire my spouse? And that was what people were coming. It's sort of like their spouse is involved in the business, and this can be both ways, either male or female, and they realized that that really wasn't their passion, but they were so entwined in the business that getting them out of there was very difficult. So I spent um, with a number of clients, I figure out how to almost um, take them out of the business so that they can come back in with a different purpose and sometimes get them out of the business completely. So um, that's a little bit um, of the long background. You asked for the pros um, and the cons. The pros, it is wonderful working with family. You love them. You trust them. You know they have your back. You know you have their back. It is just a phenomenal experience, except when it's not. And when it's not is when you may know them them well and love them and trust them, but you don't like working with them. You don't like how they're doing things. And so a lot of what I – work with people on is the basics of running a business, setting boundaries so that you have a control over personal. There needs to be boundaries. I look at roles and responsibilities. There's a lot of things that play into that. So all the pros can be cons and all the cons can be pros. And I talk about that in the book as well. One of the stories that is very um, integral in the book is a story about a couple where the um, husband and his brother started a business probably 35 years ago. Very quickly they found that they didn't have the same goals and priorities. I'll make a long story short because you can read the details in the book. The brother got out of the business. The husband took it over. His wife came in. But the brother did not speak to his brother, excuse me, the husband did not speak to his brother for over 20 years. Their kids didn't see each other. They didn't have cousins, um, cousin time or anything. And the wife really looked back at that and said, if I had to do it over, I would not have had the family business because of, and it came down to not understanding what each other's goals were, what the boundaries were, and what the roles and responsibilities were of each one of the family members. So that sort of gives you that overview. 
Well, and that's a really good point that you made. And, and I know we have a family business and we have had it for 30 years and we have colleagues uh, that have a very similar story to what you just talked about there that you wrote about in your book. And when I'm doing professional speaking on work-life balance, there's another element that I also talk about boundary management. But I think another commonality that you probably see and train on too, Jana, is stress resilience. And I think mm-hmm. the foundation of those two principles really comes down to communicating because usually when there's lack of, that's usually when there's turmoil. So do you find that you land up not only presenting and teaching and consulting, but you also hold a mediator role in the work that you do? Absolutely. Um, Mentor, mediator, um, business um, psychologist, um, all of those terms play into there. As we just look at communication, is it such a foundation um, in all businesses, but you get the magnification of that when they are family members. Well, and, and you throw a bunch of different personalities in the mix when they get married. And I think it's just, it's a balancing act, but communication usually 99% resolution to any problem. So I'm very happy to hear you chat about that. Now, I know that you're very passionate about your community, and I know that you do a lot of things in your community. And I wanted to ask what your personal and professional connection was to diabetes and why you donate your time to that cause. My son is 22 in college and is type 1 um, diabetic, which means that he was diagnosed with diabetes at age 8. And the pancreas stops producing insulin. So type 1 is very different than type 2 diabetes. And type 1 is there is nothing he could have done um, to prevent it. And they're just still not exactly sure of the um, cause across the board. But when the pancreas stops producing insulin, you have to um, take insulin. And fortunately, technology has allowed it to be um, easier from the perspective. He doesn't have to take shots all the time, but he does have to test his blood four or five times a day. And he wears what is um, uh, a pump that um, gives him insulin on a regular basis. And it's something he couldn't live without. Well, so that's very special for you to give back to others. And I can just imagine, you know, the experience and knowledge that you have to share with other mothers. And it's always, to me, heartfelt and and priceless, if you will, if you can pay it forward when you've already been down a path that you can be empathetic towards someone else. So good for you. I I volunteer at our local hospice in my city where I am because I've had some family members become palliative. And I think once you've been through something like that, I find it easy and, and a bit eager to, to help someone else. So I, I applaud you on that. Good for you. And your son is well today yeah. and it's all managed. And he is well and managed, you know, it's going through the, when they first get diagnosed um, at whatever age. And I have a good friend that it was diagnosed actually in his mid thirties with type one, which is um, highly unusual, but we just say he never grew up, which is why he's a, um, he has juvenile diabetes, which is often what it's called. But the, um, they go from you managing to you having to turn it over because for, this, for them, anybody who is type 1, they live with it for the rest of their life. And so it's, 
a challenge as a parent to turn over something that you know that if it's not managed well essentially could kill them. And that's hard doing, especially in teenage years, and then they go away to college and things like that. So it is, it's a process, and it's probably a lifelong process for not only uh, my son, but for us as parents, because we, we have a um, common question that, we, um, uh, that many parents don't have to ask, and that is, how is blood sugar? And, uh, you know, many parents don't have to worry about those types of things, but they have to worry about others as well. And so we all have our, our challenges, and it's a way to be able to support the community. Yeah, it's, it's a win-win. Well, I'm happy to hear that. Well, there is uh, a couple of paragraphs in your chapter that uh, really resonated with me. So I would like to just read a bit for the listeners and then talk sure. to you about it, if I may. So this is out of book 11, and this is Jana's chapter. And I'm just going to repeat to you, I love, I love the title, The Effective Attitude on Altitude. So just want to read a little bit from page 119. Here we go. What stops you? How badly do you want to achieve your goal, and what are you willing to give up achieving it? Fear is what stops many people. There are many shades of fear. Two acronyms that express opposite viewpoints on fear are forget everything and run, face everything and rise. Does either of these acronyms reflect your way of dealing with fear? The concept of choosing a goal and sticking with it is important. Then after setting a goal, you must plan, prepare, and lay the appropriate foundation to achieve success. You also must understand the potential risks associated with your plan. If a mountaineer is going to invest in climbing a mountain but doesn't want to end up being the one who gets rescued because of lack of preparation, he or she must plan, develop the necessary skills, and perform critical thinking tasks in order to address the risk. The same is true in business and career. If you are going to invest all your savings on a single business venture, you'd better understand the risk. Otherwise, you might face the harsh reality of totally starting over. So your chapter really has a metaphor because you shared with me before we went live that you, you were born and raised in California and then you moved to Boston for about 30 years and then you moved to Colorado for 11 years and you yourself had to get adjusted to the altitude. So just share with us how you decided to write this chapter and use that metaphor in adapting to the altitude. And, and, it, and, I, and I love the metaphor because we all climb that entrepreneurial mountain and run out of gas sometimes. So just explain how you brought that mindset together and, and wrote this beautiful chapter. Well, the fun part, um, of understanding altitude around here is, um, and I talk about it um, a little earlier in the chapter, is when I first started coming out here, uh, I climbed a bit. I mean, not, I mean, like a three or four minute climb. And I said, how come I'm breathing so hard? Why on earth, uh, you know, I need to get into better shape until it dawned on me that the altitude was affecting me more than my not being in shape. I'm not saying I didn't need to be in shape, but um, the altitude was affecting it. That same concept applies to our uh, career, to our businesses. If we aren't 
um, getting in shape if we aren't adjusting to the environment that we have. Because where we have altitude here that we have to live with, there's also altitude in our business as they, as they grow too fast. I have said for a long time in um, businesses, what kills businesses faster than no business is too much business overall. Because slow business obviously will kill you, but you can, can do what you can to grow up. You have way too much business, and you ruin your reputation. You ruin your product. Your quality is, is not there. And that can kill a business as fast as anything else. So the, um, but a lot of times what stops us is our fear. Our, the fear of success almost stops more businesses than a fear of failure. So as we look at the whole attitude, if your fear is always, well, I can't do this. I'm not going to be able to. What if this happens? What if that happens? How, are we, how am I going to do it? That becomes almost paralyzing versus an attitude of, well, if I'm growing, what do I have to do? What do I have to put in place now to allow, allow double growth? When I talk with my clients, I tell them, what do you have to do right now to plan for 10x growth? Because if you plan now, you can go take, take over and you're prepared for it. But the difference between that success or that failure is fear and your mindset that you have with it and the attitude you have, have as you approach it. When I go hiking 14,000-foot 14, mountains, when there's um, over 48, 50, I think it was 53 of them in Colorado, what, gets, what is the difference between those who succeed and those who don't has nothing to do with what shape they're in, unless they're in horrible shape has most to do with your mindset and your attitude. Because if you say, I can, you know, the old um, uh, nursery rhyme of that little train is, you know, I think I can, I think I can. If you tell yourself you will do it, then you will make it to the top. You may be slow, but that's okay. I, as I'm listening to you, I, I almost hear the, the sounds of Jim Britt because Jim Britt really talks about that and how, impactful it is and as easy as it is to say that we need to let things go it's so hard for people so I just wanted to segue on that what do you see that you can share with us has been the most repetitive um, I don't want to I'm going to say element or frustration that is within family businesses both on the personal side of things so I so behavior wise and also Aside from the example you used of too much business, what is the other business repetitive element that you've seen in all your years of, of being a business consultant specializing in family businesses? Probably the number one thing is they do not run it as a business. They run it as a hobby. And as a result, they don't get to see what the true value is of the business. So they don't, they don't make themselves indispensable. Or the, excuse me, they make themselves indispensable. They don't make themselves dispensable. In other words, the family can't take vacations because who's going to do it? Because nobody else knows how to do things. That also becomes one of the big stumbling blocks in passing that business to the next generation. 
Because if mom and dad, two brothers, two sisters, I don't care what the configuration, if they are the lifeblood of the business and they cannot walk away to take a one or two week vacation or a month vacation, who is ever going to buy the business because it's built around individuals, not business practices, and how are you ever going to be able to enjoy the family if you can't walk away from the business for a period of time to refresh, recharge, and enjoy yourself as family. So that is probably, and that has ramifications all over the business and implications as to how you do things and what you do. It plays into ego. It plays into communication. It plays into selling, into profit, um, all the way across the board. Do you find as, the decades have gone on because you've, you've worked for three and a half decades in this specialized area. Are you finding that families are not having as many children? So they're selling their business or they don't have anyone to pass it on to, or more importantly, haven't done succession planning. I don't know that the number of children is affecting um, that. I would have that. I'd have to do um, research, and there probably is some research on there. Um, in all honesty, I find the same problems now um, as before. Is nobody wants to admit that they will not live forever? They know it in head knowledge, but they don't plan for it in heart knowledge. Well, one of my clients. Um, his dad um, dropped out of a heart attack and was there one day and gone the next. There was, um, other than financial, there was no planning from a business perspective. So we believe that it's not going to happen to us, and therefore we don't plan the business succession. Um, what's Stephen Covey's um, line that everybody knows? Begin with the end in mind. When you're starting your business out, you need to really be planning for what's going to be the next step. There will always be an exit to a business, whether you're passing it to somebody else or whether you're passing it to family. And you need to plan for it to, to be that way. When I look at the busyness that businesses have right now, I often ask some of my younger business owners, so what do you talk about when you do, um, do you ever get home for family dinner? If so, what do you talk about? Do you talk about the um, blankety-blanky um, customers and clients that did or didn't do this to you? Or do you look at the opportunities and share the challenges, but share the opportunities that go along with it? Because a lot of times the next generation doesn't want to take on the family business because they don't want to work 90 hours a week. They don't, they've heard all the negatives. They see, haven't seen the positives. They see that um, dad doesn't go to the ball games because he's got to work. They don't take vacations because it's a family business and they can't. And if you change, this is goes where the attitude plays into it as well. If you change that attitude and start incorporating, well, gee, I had this type of um, customer interaction. What do you think I should have said? How do you think we could handle that? How could we improve? That engages that next generation in a very different way than a negative attitude and complaining about it. Because one of the things that I often see in here is that, well, um, none of my um, next generation wants to take over the business. Well, how old is this next generation? Well, they're in their 20s and they're going and doing other things. Well, okay, but maybe they will in their 30s or 40s. They don't have to do it in their 20s. 
In fact, I usually recommend that they do go and spend some time outside the family business to learn the rest of the world. Because um, as the old joke goes, older we all get, the more brilliant our parents get, or they don't, they're not as dumb as we thought they were when we were teenagers. And there's just a process that goes through there. So it's a little bit of a different way of answering your, your question. But the we all have to plan and we all have to work that through. But I also see a lot of families that have five and six kids. Five of them don't want to, but one does. And guess what? All you need is one. Well, and that's, that's a great answer. And I, I mean, every family business has their own dynamics. You can take the business element away from it, and every family has the foundational part of, of the personal dynamics. And then, like you said, you throw in the business. And I think some of them start off and run it as a hobby and they're not taking it as a business. So I can really see how advantageous it would be to have you come in as a coach or a consultant to, to mediate mentor. I'm sure you wear many, many hats. Jana, I wanted to ask, I wanted to ask you about your blog because I see that you have really written and published a lot of blogs and in many different categories that are relational to some of the things we've talked about tonight. How often do you publish your blog and do you have like a fodder file or how do you decide what, where where does your inspiration come from to write on within the categories that you've chosen to publish on so far? The, um, I, I publish really as often as the um, spirit leads me from there. And it's typically once every, um, every couple of weeks. I don't want to fill everything um, along that line, but where the source comes is just real life. I run into a situation with a client and I go, you know something, I'm going to leverage what we just talked about with that client and make it in a generic basis because other people can really benefit from that. So it, it really is it's coming to, to real life. Um, I'm getting ready to um, write a um, blog on just how the culture affects your business. And I've written on it before, but there's been some interesting observations on a, on a couple of news articles about how culture can have such a positive effect as well as a negative effect as to, to the bottom line. So as I see that in my clients, I go and take that information. And I don't know if you find it, but I find when one client is having an issue with it, I'll um, have five or six clients that will have the same issue, and it just sort of comes together. And then the spirit just sort of leads, and um, I get tired of saying it, and I write it in a blog so I can leverage my time. Well, and I do the same thing, and, and it's so funny because once you publish it, you usually get some feedback where another client will say, I was wondering the same thing. Yet, regardless of how long you've worked with them, they never brought it up. But when it's relational and then you've already done the post and you're talking about it, it's just another lead in to talk to another client about. So it's funny how those things work out, isn't it? It absolutely is. And here's the other thing is I do find that I can have said something we could have had the conversation two, three, even four times, but they may not have been ready to hear. And I think that's the piece in communication I really see with clients as well. You can tell them they can mentally know it, but for them to relate to it, even going and physically doing a reading of it, it's sort of like, oh, you know something, you've been saying that, but I finally got it. 
I finally related it to me. And that just means that they were receptive to what was going on and being willing to hear. And that's when change comes about. I absolutely agree. So we are nearing the end of 2017. What's some of your goals for year end and what aspirations and goals do you have for 2018 for Jana Holbrook? For um, 2017, it is um, finishing strong with some of my clients. They are going through some, a couple of them are going through some massive um, transitions and just watching them grow. Because what happens with me is usually it's the baby boomer who hires me. And then I get the privilege of working with a millennial. Sometimes Gen X, but usually it's millennial that's getting a chance to take it over. So for all the negativity that I hear about millennials, I just don't see it because I've just got some awesome clients that continue to grow. They continue to make those steps. So for for me, it's really finishing out um, 2017. And also um, my son that I was talking about, he graduates from college at Tufts University in Boston in December, and that's graduating a semester early. So we're going to be celebrating um, with him because that's an awesome achievement. And I'm also celebrating my last um, check that I have to make for tuition payment. So that's my celebration in 2017. <laughs> I'm laughing because I know it's either, it's either the mortgage burning party or, hey, it's the last check I'm writing for tuition. So you're hitting another milestone right. yourself. Well, congratulations. Yeah. That's awesome. What did your son uh, take in university? So he is graduating with a math and computer science degree. Well, you must be one proud mama. I am, and he's in the process of, of interviewing, and I'll be happy when this interviewing process um, completes as well because it's sort of like one more of these steps, and then he can go be a regular adult from there. And for 2018, um, I'm really working on – um, one of the things I find challenging and have as long as I've done it is to truly be, um, I have to two clients about uh, marketing. I a lot of times go, okay, well, what am I doing in marketing? Gee, I need to brush this up or I need to go back and look at this. And so the, for 2018, I'm also trying to do a lot of work on that whole balance aspect and just really making sure that I'm appreciating every day and that I'm, exper I'm going out and we're doing some more traveling because we are empty nesters, and we're not only empty nesters, we're empty nesters without that college um, bill that we have to do. And so we're really being intentional about taking weekends, and I'm going with girlfriends to Florida. I'm going with my husband for an anniversary to New Orleans, just doing some things like that. And that's on the personal side, and the business is just continuing to service the clients that I have and making sure that they have laid out the path for their own success for their life and for whatever will be for the next generation to come. Well, as a lifestyle coach who loves and is passionate about work-life balance, you are getting a gold star for that upcoming 2018 plan. I think that sounds fabulous. And I just, I'm really happy to connect with you. And I want to thank you for coming on the Change Book Radio Show. I'm so happy that you're in Book 11 amongst all of us. And 
just that you bring your ex- experience and expertise to this global community. It's, every week I'm, I'm in a different location talking to a different co-author, and I say this every week, Jana, I'm, I'm so taken back by the quality and experience and just the diversity of talent that we have in this community. So just really happy to be your colleague in this book series and want to wish you continued success. And thank you so much for spending the last half hour with me. Well, I appreciate being able to be on here. I just um, love being able to share it. And it's always fun to be able to connect with people all over over the world on these things because the reality is all of us face a a lot of the same problems and our solutions just need to be a little bit different for each one of them so thank you for having me on the show it's been fun it's been fun and you take care and all the best for the end of the year and and enjoy yourself when you write that last check you might even buy yourself a new pen and and really go all out I will. I'll consider that. Although technology makes it so it's just a wire transfer. That that whole old check concept is really going away. But it's it's knowing that it's done and we're we're out of here. Absolutely. Well, Jana, you take care and thanks again for joining me. You're very welcome and have a great weekend. You too. Bye bye. Bye. Just a fun interview with. Jana Hoiberg from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I just love that she has taken all of her teaching and consulting and then deciding to specialize with family businesses. What a wonderful niche. And she shared with me that there was one family where they were still on the same land and they were on their eighth generation. So that's just incredible to have that exposure and that personal relationship within the same family. So I want to leave you with uh, a centering thought for the week, because I find I'm hearing a lot of people say, I don't have time or Deb, I can't fit this in just one of the elements for work-life balance. So just create a thought for yourself, whether you want to call it an affirmation, a centering thought, whatever that verbiage is for you, just take, time and look at it in a creative sense. And I know Jim Britt taught me two years ago to do everything in 15 minute segments. And let me tell you, do I get a lot of things done because you got four segments in an hour. And the good news is you don't allow any interruptions. So you truly, truly are productive. So before I let you go tonight, I'm happy to tell you that I have rebranded and launched my new website this week. It's debcrow.com, and Crow has an E on the end. And I want to thank the branding firm out of London, Ontario. I have been working with them for several months on recrafting my new brand and really, really pleased with my website. So I'd love for you to take a look and give me your thoughts. So thanks for tuning in to the Changebook Radio Show. This is Deb Crow, and I'll be back here with you next week on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Take care.